meditation, meditation, meditation. Depending on the quality of my mind, you know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice. You can't think of anything. This is meditation in the city. The Shambhala New York podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Meeting the New Normal with Equanimity. The Dharma tells us that impermanence is a constant. The practical approach from the teachings in working with uncertainty could be to make impermanence the new normal instead of looking for certainty. In this episode, we learn ways to deal with this uncertainty and begin to attain peace and equanimity. Today we are joined by Philomena Leonardi. Philomena has been a student in the Shambhala tradition since 2009. Philomena is a partner at a global consulting firm focusing on leadership development. Through her work as executive coach, she aspires to bring the principles of Shambhala Dharma to the corporate world. Originally born and raised in Milan, Italy, Philomena has lived in several cities, including London and Sydney. She has made New York City her home since 2005. In her limited spare time, Philomena is an enthusiastic ceramic student at Greenwich House Pottery and considers Clay and the Wheel her very first mindfulness teachers. Here's Philomena to take away the discussion. It has occurred to me over the last few weeks, especially, that as we all deal with the challenges of how our lives have changed in the last 18 months through the pandemic, that there is a lot to be learned from uncertainty and how we deal with uncertainty. And I wanted to offer some reflections on that through the lens of Shambhala teachings and Buddhist principles that are very pragmatic, in fact. Um, it is uh, always interesting to me to notice how pragmatic and relevant some of these principles are many thousands of years on. So I'd like to start by just um, charting the path of where we have been each in our own way because each of us are unique and have our own lives and circumstances but nevertheless the fact that over the last 18 months we have come face to face to a whole new meaning of the word impermanence and how very rapidly a lot of things that we took for granted were shifted, taken away from us, completely turned on their head. We had to adapt to new ways of living, working, studying, minding our children. We have suffered a lot of loss of many different kinds. And we've had to contend with new experiences of um, relating in different ways to people, uh, isolation, uh, new social norms, and a whole new 
jargon around you're on mute and let's zoom. So a lot has changed and yet the undercurrent for many of us through that time of um, being turned upside down and rushing to the store for six more rolls of toilet paper was somewhat an undercurrent of when do we go back to normal? When do we go back to traveling and encumbered? When do we go back to school or work safely? When do we give up carrying our masks everywhere for those of us who took them up? Not being concerned about what we touch and the whole relationship to cleanliness that was shifted for many of us. Not to have to ask if we can hug when we meet a friend after many months of not seeing them. So there was a part of us that had this undercurrent of how do we, when do we go back to normal? And I don't know about what was your personal experience, but I think it was many months that we had this notion of going back to normal. And it was always out there in the next X number of months. When we get the vaccine, we'll all go back to normal. Doesn't that feel like a long time ago that we said that? Yeah. So, um, so that was, you know, a big change that we in different ways came to grips with, but with this undercurrent that it was, we were controlling it in some way, we were gonna go back to normal. And, and that was very consistent with our usual strategy in life, which is to um, seek to control uncertainty and our circumstances. So now we're in the midst of a new kind of phase, which is the phase of, we don't really know um, exactly what normal means anymore. So we, there is a, uh, where I work, for instance, there is a lot of talk about what will our work life look like at some point in the future when people may be asked to come back to the office and what will that actually entail? And the reality is that we don't really know what the next two or three months will bring. And there are headlines. There was just a headline today when I was writing this talk. I have to read it to you because it was so apropos from the New York Times. Expert advice on the Delta variant. Should you wear a mask? Is it safe to travel? Here is new guidance from experts. So what's very interesting to me is that this headline has been churned a few times. It's just that knowledge has changed and guidance has changed. So the point I'm making here is that even as we have been in the midst of a lot of change, we have viewed this as a transitory thing that will ultimately be controlled. And even as we read these headlines, we're seeking for some way of potentially getting some certainty. The Buddha, even without an iPhone and an app, 
and technology, which is usually the way we relate to change, knew something about change. And he said that fundamentally, uh, the circumstances that we relate with are impermanent. And that it is really quite impossible to get away from that. And also impossible to get away from the discomfort that impermanence may bring. And discomfort could mean a lot of things. It could mean sadness, it could be loss, it could be pain, um, amongst other things that could be quite different from those. So, so what happens is that even though there is impermanence all around us, whether it's at a microscopy level, level or at a macro level, we have a way in which we want to continue to grasp for certainty. And I want to underscore the distinction here between certainty as a uh, meaning don't want to stay with the discomfort of not knowing what will happen next versus the legitimate pursuit of information to help us make good decisions. So one way that um, all this manifests is that um, even as we are in the midst of um, where I thought this will go, was going to be over and when are we going back to normal, we are actually still dealing with a lot of things that we don't know and with uncertainty. And we see all this all around us. You know, we have one day we're hearing about Broadway opening in September, and then the next headline might tell us that um, some offices are rethinking when to reopen, or uh, we might read that we no longer need to wear masks, and then all of a sudden we need to wear masks again. And, and so the challenge is that in the midst of all these different terrains that we need to navigate, we are seeking for the certainty of a right or wrong, or a do or don't do. And, and at the same time, we are seeking for things to potentially return to whatever normal might be. So given the reality of impermanence, the question is, you know, how do we actually relate to impermanence as the new normal? And how do we make that even a viable path? So the other teaching that the Buddha shared with uh, when he first began teaching was that whilst impermanence is unavoidable and suffering from that may be unavoidable, the real pain comes from, the real suffering comes from being attached to a desire for things to be permanent, to be controllable, to be just as we wish them to be. And that is where our desire for a definition of what new normal might mean or returning to the normal that we knew comes into play we are seeking to control our circumstances and yet 
the real possibility arises when we can give up that control. So how can we develop some way to find this path forward when the terrain is so uncertain? What does it mean to be able to surrender this desire to control our circumstances? What might it mean when we don't know what might be expected of us or our plans might be thrown up in the air? Or when, we, or when we are confronted with loss that we'd rather not experience. So this path of being able to deal with uncertainty is paved by the willingness to stay with what is discomfort, with what is not knowing, and surrendering the expectations that we can control things, or that there is a surefire answer to our questions. And the challenge with uh, when we, we want to control things is that all of a sudden, there's a lot of energy that actually goes into trying to manipulate things in the direction that we need them to be. And that takes a lot of effort. And I had an experience last year where I, my, my family lives in Australia. Every Christmas, I go to visit them. And I hung on to that hope of going to see them right up to the month of October last year. And it was interesting for me to actually have to give up that notion. And and both experience the, the sadness and the loss and the confusion of having a very different routine, but also at the same time, uh, not having the constant churning of thoughts about the unfairness, how can I get around it, uh, you know, who do I know who can help me? You know, all of this kind of energy around wanting to be things, to have things to be different. And again, you know, there is discernment involved, meaning that I'm not advocating or suggesting that we should never strive for things or have objectives or aspirations where it makes a lot of sense to exert our energy. I'm talking about situations that get changed on us where we put a lot of our attachment to an outcome in a way that we are prevented from seeing what's actually happening around us. So the path to, um, so we could seek instead to think about had to cut through the suffocating nature of our churning thoughts. <clears throat> so a lot of this relationship with uncertainty <coughs> comes not so much from the nature of the circumstances, but by the way that we relate to them and the way that we either want to grasp for things that we want or push away things that we don't like or fundamentally deny whatever doesn't suit us. So what we're doing is 
we're really cutting ourselves off from big chunks of our lives by doing that. So this thinking that keeps recurring and wants us to manipulate our current circumstances is cutting us off from the experience of the present moment, the experience of what's happening right now. And so when we give up control of having certainty, we can begin to relate to things as they are. So there are a few things we have to give up along the way. We have to give up having things our way. We very much, um, which by the way, interestingly is um, sometimes opens up ways that we may not have envisaged um, before and help that can come from other circumstances that we may not have envisaged before. I had an experience um, the other day where I had to get a, um, a big pile of shredding done and the place where they could do that service, they didn't have anything that was available right there and then. And one part of me was ready to just get very frustrated with not being able to get what I needed right there and then. But I was actually able to negotiate when how they could hold my material safe. And they, they would not have offered if I had just wanted with a certain degree of self-righteousness what I was there to buy. So my point is that, you know, we have to give up having things our way and we also have to give up the comfort of certainty and what I call the illusion of control. You know, this notion that, this notion that we can, um, you know, if we try hard enough and get exactly what we want. The other interesting thing is that we live in a society where it's kind of cool to be upbeat and be very positive. And part of giving up control is also, and deal with uncertainty, is this notion of being comfortable with the fact that you may not always feel upbeat. It may not always feel like it's okay. It, it, so, being okay with uncertainty is not about being happy about how things might be turning out. It may not be happy that um, you can't send your child to school, but it's about being able to stay with how we're experiencing that particular moment. And it's not something that is readily acceptable in our, in our society. So a few things that we need to give up in order to surrender to this present moment and to this notion of being okay with uncertainty. So interestingly, um, the pandemic in a way invites us to wake up to the possibility that we can find joy, that we can find a degree of, uh, or we can find acceptance even in the midst of what seems unending uncertainty, even in the midst of the possibility of change and things not going our way. So that it's the possibility for, for joy 
is not just found in things going our way. It can be not conditioned by that. And that is actually a useful possibility because even before the pandemic, this degree of uncertainty may not have been as visible, but was actually always present. So what does it mean to be able to then wake up to this possibility of join the midst of uncertainty? What does it mean to have equanimity with whatever might arise? So a few points for reflection in terms of what we can do or be. Slowing down is a big heading here. Slowing down. In my work, I relate every day with senior leaders in organizations. And probably one of the top things that I spend a lot of time with them is on slowing down, making space, allowing for things to be so that you can notice. So imagine that our minds are like a fan. Imagine a an old-fashioned fan that's got blades, you know, and then you switch it on and it whirs faster and faster. So when you see the fan spinning fast, you actually don't see the blades. You see like a disc. Of course, you don't want to stick your finger in there. It's not a disc, it's blades. But it looks solid. And when our minds are spinning really fast, we're thinking that's what they do. They create a sense of solidity. And so our reactions to situations become solid. And our relationship to people and circumstances becomes solid. So slowing down means to be able to notice what our minds are doing which of course means mindfulness. So cultivating mindfulness, whether formally through sitting practice and off the cushion by noticing when we can slow down, slow down our movements, slow down our speech, set the table thoughtfully, mindfully, pour that tea mindfully, whatever it is, even a fraction of a moment where we can notice and slow down and be embodied in what we're doing is a gap, is slowing down that fan and you can see the gap between the blades. And it creates a moment where we no longer need to control the situation because actually what causes us to relate to uncertainty and to the not knowing or what the new normal might be is the constant feeding of thinking about it, the constant churning of those thoughts and 
fueling our feelings with thoughts. So slowing down can afford us to have some gaps and some moments when in the midst of all this, whatever all this might be in your life, there can be a moment of stillness, of peace, of enjoyment or whatever you are experiencing right then. And that can be enough of a circuit breaker. I also want to highlight the fact that when we talk about impermanence and uncertainty that arises from impermanence, our feelings, our emotions and our reactions are also very short-lived. So this notion of slowing down and noticing our reactions is also so that they do not become self-sustained because of their own accord, they have, I've read it somewhere, it's like the edginess of an emotion will probably last a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, and then it'll change. So isn't that a powerful notion that we actually do not need to create a sense that we need to control our world, our circumstances, so that we can um, pacify feelings and thoughts that actually, when you slow down, you notice shift organically. So one of the things that also happens as we begin to um, experience mindfulness more regularly in our lives is also that we begin to notice that we can cultivate some gentleness to ourselves, a little bit less judgment, a little bit less expectation of ourselves and others. And they are also uh, means with which we can be less caught in the need to control circumstances. Judging is a way of controlling our circumstances also. But when we begin to create a gap, we can see that maybe our judgment about something is just another thought and another experience that has is present right now and will dissolve as we pay attention to being right here right now so when we can extend this to others now we get into some very interesting and powerful ground because as we go through this experience, as we have been in the last 18 months, if there is one thing that we have learned in addition to impermanence is how interconnected we all are. That's one thing that we have learned is that if we only take care of ourselves, we're not really getting anywhere, people. So, so this notion of slowing down, extending some equanimity and mindfulness to even small moments in our lives and experiencing that gap of presence and embodiment and the possibility of 
less judgment, more gentleness to ourselves also extends to others. And that also shifts the circumstances that we're in. And, uh, and therefore, it opens up to not so much that the pandemic will go away or that we can stop wearing a mask or whatever it is that we're longing to do that we're not doing. But it makes it possible for us to find some peace in how things are right now. It makes it possible to find moments of real nourishment in the circumstances that we have because we can notice even things that we may call small, but actually are the fabric of our lives, which could be that somebody's extending us a courtesy or that we have the opportunity to do that, or that we may be, um, I, I had to go to the office yesterday to get my computer fixed. And I was rushing between meetings. I had a Zoom call. When I finished, I had another Zoom call. But as I was walking from my apartment to the subway, I just caught a moment of feeling that perfect temperature yesterday, that sun that felt so nice around 2.30 in the afternoon wasn't humid and I just had a moment of oh you know here I am I'm outside and there's, there's the skies you know it's those are real moments of present moment gap that can sustain us and we can sustain others through them so that is the, the power of slowing down and and extending mindfulness and extending gentleness so when we can practice this, even in minute ways, uh, even when we catch glimpses of it, it can, we can begin to loosen our grip on this plan to have certainty, you know, on this. And there is a bit more space to accommodate circumstances, to not get so caught up in the edginess of pushing back, in the aggression of pushing back. And it doesn't mean that we don't do something to address things that need to be addressed in a practical way. It doesn't mean that. It means that we do it with a sense of dignity and possibility and, um, and equanimity. And so, there is a sense in which by doing that, there is also an experience of peace. That even as the world whirls around us and, and can be somewhat aggressive, that in those moments we can find some degree of peace and, and it can be extended to others. So in a way, a lot of this may seem very simple. Um, I know from my own experience that simple and easy are two different things. Uh, so maybe some of this may be simple, may not be easy. 
very worthwhile investigating because the uncertainty of what the new normal will be is not going to go away. So these are some thoughts that I wanted to share with you this evening and wanted to offer them with a real sense of upbeatness that it is possible to be okay with things as they are, even when they're not particularly okay at some level. And, and I'd love to hear from all of you and be in conversation with you about your experience or what is useful in all this, what is not, what's, a, what's easy, what's a struggle. So I would like to open to, to the room here. Hi. <laughs> I just found myself nodding and smiling as you were talking, like just remembering back over, you know, the last 18 months and all that has happened. Um, and I, I think that the thing that struck me the most is the interconnectedness that so many people were able to find and really acknowledge. So um, I work in childcare and so we were closed uh, down. It started out, you know, like two weeks to slow the spread and then it ended up being three months that we couldn't go back. And then we were finally able to go back. And over that three months, like staying connected to the staff and all of us staying connected to each other, um, I, I think really gave us all something that we still have. And, um, <clears throat> extremely important. And I don't know whether that would have happened if not for the pandemic. So um, something that could have been so, you know, well, was, is so awful, um, did create space for very positive things to happen. But anyway, just my thoughts. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, um, I understand a lot of what you're saying and I believe in that. But then today I was driving around doing errands and I was wearing my mask in store in the supermarket and was had just finished listening to Biden's talk about urging people to get the vaccine and how this is quickly becoming a pandemic among people who are not vaccinated. And for the first time, I felt such anger towards people when I saw them in the store not wearing a mask. And I, I just was filled with the feeling of you stupid, stupid people. And at such risk that they're putting me and others and the world and our the state, our country. And then to hear about governors who are not gonna let schools mandate wearing of masks or advising. And, and I thought, my God, how stupid these people are. And I was furious. Uh, so I was certainly not very kind towards them, but I, I understand I understand what you're saying, but a little bit of reality testing is, I don't know, sometimes a little different. Yeah. And I 
wanted to acknowledge that we we're not saying that we wouldn't feel that and yeah it, it absolutely yes um uh, yeah a, a real sense of injustice yeah know, right and what we're saying here is absolutely recognize the the anger the injustice the feeling of injustice and also the sadness that is underneath yeah. that and yeah it's it takes effort and that's where where you were at that point when you were listening and experiencing that so we're not shying away from that right we also don't need to be defined by the anger that we feel <laughs> yeah yeah it really i yes i feel that very personally also as you as many of us do mm -hmm. I, I think you're feeling that interconnectedness you know they're responsible for us and we're responsible for them and we don't agree and you know but um you know for for everybody i think once we acknowledge that we have some responsibility for each other and um i think that's what's probably getting to you like why aren't they caring about everyone else and so caught up that on their end of it you know they have their opinions and ideas as well but um yeah here we are right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i just made it just you know had to make a decision today to say that no staff member could come back to school in september if they're not vaccinated right I just you know like how how can we work with those kids day in and day out, you know, and they, they sit on us, they hug us, they hang on us, you know, forget social distancing with two-year-olds. Right. And, you know, if I'm responsible for their safety, how could I not get vaccinated? You know, so I understand, yeah. You're talking about interconnectedness. I was, uh, when, when you were talking, Philomena, um, the first thing you said that really struck me was you said something about control to keep things the way we need. And I fastened on the word need because very early on during lockdown, I started thinking about what do I really need? And I had to start making all these choices. Do I really need the best toilet paper? <laughs> or just do I need toilet paper? <laughs> Do I even need toilet? Well, I don't want to go there, but uh, I started thinking about what do I need versus what do I want? What do I have to have? What's And I didn't want to just have to have enough to survive um, because I love having things that are beautiful around. I love having flowers to look at and sound and music to hear. So th those give me those gaps you talk about. But I really thought about what you said about need. And it's just because uh, later on, um, you talked about the illusion of control and the, what's normal, the new normal. And I thought, 
has anything ever really been normal? Is there is there anything that's really normal, or do we have this idea of what's normal? And so I thought a lot about that when you said that. And the third thing was, um, you talked about the edge of feelings, and I tend to hold on to anger and resentment. You know, that guy really pissed me off. He really screwed me over in that interact in that transaction. And it's very hard for me to sometimes let go of that. And uh, so Joanne, you were talking about anger. Um, somebody, you know, who kept on walking around um, um, a store and got closer and closer to me. And I said, could you give me some distance? He said, he said, why? Do you really believe all that stuff? And, and he got closer. And, and it just got me angrier and angrier. And I did. I held on to that a long time. So those three things were like, what do we need? Um, what's really normal? And how to let go of things that I hold that maybe we all hold on to, but that they're hard to let go of. You know, those were those were what struck me. And I felt. Yeah, which is um, thank you, uh, David, for for those for those observations and for sharing these thoughts. You know, one of the one of the 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 illusions that at some level we sometimes have is this notion that once we get something uh, under you know mastered perhaps is one way to think about it then we're done <laughs> and so that maybe we may and, and this is or we may you know we 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 hold anger and resentment and maybe there is a way that we don't and then it's done um the invitation with the noticing of the gaps and um and so forth and the noticing of the beautiful things that you surround yourself with the flowers and the music is to remind us that just like we have impermanence at, at the level that we talked about earlier there is impermanence at this more micro level meaning it, there will always be times when there is anger anger arises and and really be able to relate to the fact that even as you experience that it's not permanent even if you fully experience it you don't need to identify with it and act from that it's and then the next moment there will be a different experience which may be labeled as uh annoyance maybe like two notches down and so forth and so the notion of being able to slow down is that we notice that oh it's maybe it's anger it's up there oh now it's come down a notch or uh, and then tomorrow is not there so the this notion of impermanence and applied to that to the experiences that we have 
also helps us not, we don't have to hang on to them because of that. But you are, it's perfectly okay to experience fresh anger tomorrow if that arises. Yeah, um, I totally understand what they was talking about. And um, I live in East Village, so I live very close to a uh, Tompkins Square Park. And uh, for the past year, like I can witness how much, like uh, how crowded and how how dirty it got. Like um, like kids, I'm very happy to see young adults to play in the playground or the state or the skate park, but they just throw trash everywhere and nobody aware of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just slowly kind of like lose hope um, on the on the future a little bit. Yeah. Of course, we still have like beautiful music and all that, but every after everybody left, it's all trash. It's just people stepping on the grass without any respect. So it's pretty, uh, it's really sad to witness all this. And I was always thinking because I'm from China. So I was always thinking in the old days, like the Buddhism, we are really close bind with, with power, with politics. So it also served a way to control the society. But now it's completely separated. So I can't feel like the Buddhist principles can no longer really serve as a tool for us to navigate in the society level. It's mostly like navigate in the individual level. Mm. Like for say, I can navigate myself, like do not get involved, emotionally involved or, or stay peaceful. But I just feel pretty uh, vulnerable to like, how to change this. Yeah. yeah, that's what I recently feel. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. You know, I also want to say that this notion of equanimity doesn't mean no action. And I think different people are inspired to make an impact in different ways and act in different ways. Um, I just wanted to offer that because I, I sense that that for some of us, the drive to have a more public impact, it could be more important and more, more viable. So I, I you know, but I, um, and I also understand what you're saying that sometimes it feels like these are principles that are not embodied sufficiently in, in our society. Um, I, I definitely relate to a lot of what's being said. And, uh, you know, even outside of pandemic, like I, I often think about just how much we're all on our phones and, and especially people in my generation, just the, the sheer quantity of content and social media that we ingest. And it's like, they're you know, is so little room for gap uh, and, and, you know, some space because it's just so easy to just consume so much all the time. So, uh, you know, even unrelated to pandemic and not to mention um, global warming and, and climate change and uh, the, just the way we treat our environment and all these things. Um, but kind of to what you're saying, uh, 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 Gezi, uh, 
the the one thing that does give me some comfort uh, is the at least you know to to me what it, what I've learned of Buddhism is um, that it's a wisdom tradition and it can just arise out of nowhere and anybody doesn't necessarily have to be um, that you know you have a Buddhist president for the president to have an awakened moment and and a little gap where some you know uh, more skillful means might arise so um, so yeah I don't know I, I think that um, there is still um, uh, the potential for change to happen. And just because people today are making a mess in the park or, um, you know, trolling you because you're wearing a mask or asking for social distancing, um, you know, that is all subject to impermanence too. And um, those people might just, um, you know, be... Uh, still uh, on, on a path towards some sort of a uh, gap where they'll they'll see through that um and so yeah for me I, I try to practice patience it's very difficult of course um especially because i'm as addicted to my phone as all my friends and uh <laughs> and as uncertain and uh, worried about the future as, as we all are um but yeah i think um moments like this and, and gatherings like this and um, just the fact that, um, you know, we're all interconnected gives me some sense of um, uh, acceptance that, uh, yeah, things are how they are right now. Oh, and, um, and kind of what I was thinking of during the talk is, um, you know, as much as there's a lot of pain and it can be difficult to sit with the discomfort and the pain, um, in my experience, at least being a, being in tune with what's really going on gives you the best chance of actually being able to help change and help make things better. Um, and so the more you're able to stay with things, um, the more likely you are to be in a position where you can help. Um, and so, uh, yeah, letting go of all that stuff that can get in the way of noticing what's really going on, um, I, at least in my experience, um, letting go of all of that can really help um, situations to evolve, maybe. I, I want to acknowledge many comments here tonight um, and uh, about sort of this bigger picture, you know, like you were talking about the park and the you know, the whole thing about the vaccination and people in the stores, etc. I, I just want to really acknowledge the, the big space, the big ecosystem that you were all holding in relating to this conversation this evening. And um, it's, it's my personal way of being and neither good nor bad that I, I tend to very much relate to that even that small piece of action even that small act will add to something um, and maybe it's it's a limitation on my part and maybe 
it's a pragmatic way of being. I don't, I don't really know. Um, but I just want you to know that even though it was very much offered through that lens of the more sort of individual, how can I navigate the terrain? Um, I want to acknowledge the, the enormity of some of the issues that you raised, all of you, and not to be dismissive of it. Okay. In response to what you just said about the small things, um, we were driving downtown from uh, where we live in Westchester to the city. Uh, I, um, I forget why, but, um, and there was a huge traffic jam with people trying to get onto the uh, George Washington Bridge. I think that's what the problem was. And there were three lanes of traffic just crawling along and four cars, well, we saw cars going by on the shoulder illegally and we both got really angry, and then I said, well, you know what, we've just been, we're standing in a mile long line of traffic, and there were four or 500 cars, and they were all following the rules and behaving well, and not cutting, and so only four people misbehaved. And, and uh, we took that as like a real sign of, of the community doing well versus a few, such a tiny percentage of outliers who were, who were behaving badly. So that was a, a nice small reminder of the other side of what, uh, what Gezi was pointing out. So, you know, or the people in the supermarket who really pissed me off. <laughs> so I thought that was a nice thing. Any last thoughts or comments? I'm conscious of um, I, I had a thought that, um, you know, by kind of taking this perspective as you've described in this talk is um, a good way of avoiding confirmation bias and, and probably a lot of biases um, because you're really, you know, trying to look at things with fresh eyes and, um, and uh, not uh, be so attached to what you think uh, or what you want to think is, is really going on or, or something like that. So it just, just a thought that it occurred to me during the talk. Well, I very much appreciated having this time with you. An unexpected gift that landed in my inbox late yesterday. <laughs> I appreciate your engagement tonight very much and your how much you care, all of you, with your presence and with your comments. I, I'm really touched by that. And so I, I look forward for our paths to cross again and I wish you well in however you meet things just as they are. And I want to thank Bobby for making this always a smooth journey when I do this. So thank you.